This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are back and it is a disaster already. (laughs) (laughs) We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. What you just heard was me singing my holiday Christmas song after too many glasses of whiskey. And I am here with the wonderful, the attractive, the brilliant, the so, so powerful. thank you. No, Alyssa Fuchs. I am also here with the ugly, the silly, (laughs) the foolish, the (gasps) loser-like. Jackie Cohen. Hi. And I'm here with Selena or Selayance, depending on who you're talking to, because she flies to D.C. to see President Obama Chicago. Sorry. It's, it rhymed. <laughs> yeah. She flies to Chicago to go see President Obama speak. And guess what? She told President Obama nothing because she needed <laughs> to speak to him. But she did go see him speak in Chicago. So that was pretty cool. And of course, we have Ashnet on the Internet with her Dell computer with a big screen that she bought about two weeks ago. And it already has 15 viruses because Dell computers don't last that long. And a very special guest, a man who is not only handsome and charming and smells like springtime yeah. and also has a personality of a thousand amazing people and also is rich with knowledge <laughs> and wisdom and also is a child of the great Cohen family. <laughs> we have Charlie Motherloving Cohen Charles in Harrison Cohen in the studio. Excuse me, Jackie. No one asked you to say oh, anything, all right? But anyways, so guys. Are you mansplaining her already? Is yes. That five it's my brother. Stop mansplaining me. It's my brother. New Trump, new me. So, guys. <laughs> you petty, right? That's what it is. That's right, guys. So, guys, just to sum it all up, welcome to 2017, the first episode oh, of man. Let Your Voice Be Heard. We missed you a lot. Uh, we only plan to take off one week, and then things happen. So, we took off three weeks. Um, Some of those things we had power over. Most of them we did not, but we're happy to be back in the studio. We're excited, and as you can see, we're rusty because the first thing I did was play a song about Molly. <laughs> oh, right. Did not have my an introduction. Thank you, Stanley. Happy Sunday, everyone. I hope this is a familiar voice. If not, this Who? might be your first time listening to Let Your Voice Be Heard. So I don't know how Stanley introduced. Oh, he called me Siliante. Um, my real name is Selena on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at Miss Selena Hill. Very happy to be back. It's been too too long Alyssa. good morning everybody um i'm Alyssa fuchs i'm your legal correspondent you can find me on facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa fuchs that's Alyssa with an i i l y s s a or on twitter at Alyssa fuchs or you can leave a comment or a question or hate mail on the fan page <laughs> www.facebook.com slash politically preposterous where i've been getting a lot of hate mail lately oh, because no I don't why know. the whole cory booker thing we can oh, talk about yeah. it oh, later God. Definitely. Yeah. And I am Jackie Cohen, uh, political correspondent. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Jackie Cohen, J A Q I C O H E N. And I am so happy to be back and seeing all your lovely faces. Oh, thank you. It's been too long. Definitely. So. I mean, if you guys know what Let Your Voice is about, Let Your Voice Be Heard, we actually talk about politics, social issues, foreign policy, and we do it from a millennial perspective, right? A diverse, inclusive millennial perspective at that. And this show, we will be dedicating to the legacy of our president, President Barack Hussein Obama, because in a few more days, he will no longer be a president. And instead, we will have a demagogue, a misogynist, a sexist, a xenophobic, horrible orange man leading our country. But before we get there, and I'm pretty sure we're going to have 
we're going to be talking about him a lot for the next four years. We're actually going to delve into the Obama era. What did that mean for us? We're talk. We're going to talk about some of his biggest victories, some of the controversies, some of his non-scandal family, which I absolutely adore. And we'll also talk about what could be argued as his failures. What could President Obama have done better? And then uh, we have a lot to talk about during the news roundup. We're definitely going to talk about Dylan Roof uh, being sentenced to execution, Senator Cory Booker, the controversy that he's um, delved into himself. And Alyssa will be giving us a quickie slash rant on the confirmation hearings. Can you brief us, Alyssa? Yeah, it's not just on the confirmation hearings. It's actually on everything that's going on in Congress, which is uh, this week, which is basically two major things. One is the confirmation hearings. The other is this voter-rama budget, re- budget re- resolution thing that I'm Sounds sure you've heard so a lot fun. about. so <laughs> um, fun. Yeah, if you think staying up until three in the morning to vote on amendments to a budget resolution is a lot of fun. I mean, I do, but I'm not. I mean, I do, too. Because <laughs> we're nerds, but not everybody <laughs> does, obviously. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what's going on with that and why Republicans are trying to do that and keep everybody up all night. And it's not for good reason. No, either. it never is. And, of course, if you want to let your voice be heard, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. We have Asanet here, our intern. Our wonderful intern, she will be taking and retweeting those tweets. You peep these curls she got? She got the slight curls at the bottom of her head. How you Asana did that, girl? always looks better than anybody in this room combined. Except for me, of course. Well, oh. You know. We're wearing yeah. jeggings. <laughs> Again. <First of> all, <laughs> these are sweatpants. This is not your bedroom. Yes, I'm wearing, <laughs> you need I'm to dress appropriately. That's such a Jewish mother thing to say. I'm like, wearing sweatpants. Do you know that that's what judged. people see when you leave the house like that? Yeah, I look amazing. One time Alyssa has told me that, and she wasn't joking. I remember that. I look amazing. <laughs> and I had this great pen I that love says that pen. normalize equality. You know, I, I can get behind the pe- the pin and the message on the, on the shirt you're wearing. Not going to normalize those pants, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That is not it's not normal. Your jeggings right. are not what's popping. Char- Charlie, you see the treatment I get in the studio, right? He, he, can't he, can, he, cannot, he is shocked and he is disgusted. Are you going to wear a, bath- gonna wear a bathrobe to the show next week? <laughs> That's a good idea. That'd be so comfortable. You know? That would be, we should all wear bathrobes. You better have not. a pajama party. Wait, oh my wait, God, wait. that's going to be wait, so much second. fun. Selena, are you wearing leather pants? Yeah, I am. What Selena is this, 1998? <laughs> <laughs> back streets, back. All oh, right. First of all, Seriously. Stanley cannot talk about fashion because we see how he looks all the time. I got a nice pair of jeggings. Champs, anyway, champs this has been listen. the morning edition of Haterade. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> For real, we was just hating. I have the best shirt in the world on with a pop. And what a does your shirt pen. say, Stanley? It Tell says, the people. So I have a black t-sweatshirt on that says, pe- it has an Instagram. You mean it's not white? It. I thought it was white. And it says, petty, black, and feminist. It all says, right. petty, black, feminist. Yeah, That's it doesn't right. say end. I don't see the word end anywhere. <laughs> and is in my heart, Alyssa. <laughs> With his union-made hat. That's right. Yes. Exactly. Oh, my, I love the progression. How you not hot? It's hot in here. I know. It's hot in here. When you cool as ice like I am, you oh only God. sweat when, when you don't When starts. you don't get a shape up in more than three weeks, you keep that hat on. <gasps> That's what that is. <laughs> That's actually true. But you know what? So next week, so? Stanley's coming in the do rag. Anyway, oh God, guys, no those days. So <laughs> we're we're having too much fun, guys. Um, we won't be having fun talking about the <laughs> end. Of, well, I won't be having fun talking about the end of Boozer. the Obama years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. It's it's so disparaging and saddening and disheartening. I mean, disparaging. I don't know. Yeah, big words. No, <laughs> you know, it could work. We've been out for three weeks. We'll give her a rest. Yeah. Okay, we're getting back into it. The hate is real, guys. The hate is real. So. We're gonna go. Well, on you wearing a pin too? Sorry, yeah, I am. I'm, and it's a black. It fist. says disparaging. 
<laughs> it says free. I'm wearing a. Anyway, I feel so left out. It's all good. We'll so we're playing Beyonce. That means we're going on a commercial break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back, and we're gonna start this conversation talking about Obama's farewell speech right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. My president is black, my Lambo too. Selena doesn't know big words like you. So when we come through and we sing in this song, don't forget Donald Trump gonna grab y'all. So here we come with this new year here. Donald Trump's about to be a president for four. What am I supposed to do? I just can't drink. If I drink too much, then my kidneys will sink. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, that was me falling into a deep, deep, deep depression because a bag of crap also named Cheeto Plus, also named Donald Trump, also named the president-elect of the United States, is about to be the most powerful man in the world. And not only does he want to run a country, he also enjoys getting peed on, allegedly. Yes. Allegedly. So, um, thank allegedly. you. All right, guys. So we're back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. I told Stanley we had to come in playing My President is Black remix featuring Jay-Z because I just I just remember back in 2008 when President Barack Obama won the election and basically accomplished something I never thought what happened. We had a black president. And now, eight years later, hindsight is 2020, and we see what his legacy beholds. But before we delve into his legacy in the second part of the show, we're actually going to start by talking about his epic farewell speech. Now, I was there, right? I had an opportunity of a lifetime to watch President Obama deliver his farewell address live and in person in Chicago. But the experience for me was bittersweet more bitter than sweet. And I wrote about this, I wrote about my feelings in a recap for blackenterprise.com. I also reposted that on Huffington Post. And what I basically said was, although I was ecstatic to witness this epic moment in history, the reality of the Obama era coming to an end began to sink in. In just a couple days, the eloquence, the class, the diplomacy that the Obamas brought to the White House will be replaced (laughs) by a crass, offensive, petty, Twitter raging demagogue, also known as Donald Trump. And to make matters worse, President-elect Donald Trump plans to usher into the White House a team of business owners with no experience in politics or government, some with ties to Russia, and others with a track record of racism. Nonetheless, more than likely, we're going to be talking about that for the next four years. So this show is dedicated to President Obama's legacy, his victories, his failures, and his controversies. And of course, if you want to let your voice be heard, you should call us up at 212-650-6903. So we're actually going to start this conversation off by talking about President Obama's farewell speech. I want to open that up to the panel to get your reactions. Uh, how did you feel about that? And then we'll and then we'll talk about some of our highlighting moments from it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think it was bittersweet for me as well. 
It was sort of this weird moment, though, because listening to the speech sort of in some ways weirdly filled me up with the kind of hope that I had back when I watched him accept the nomination because I actually had the opportunity to be in Denver um, at the Mile High Stadium the night he accepted the nomination. I was working for Howard Dean in the DNC. I was in the front row. And... (laughs) (laughs) What was that, Stanley? Howard Dean. Dean Oh, right. (laughs) And... um, uh, you threw me off there. Um, <laughs> and and I just remember that feeling. I had that feeling yeah. and how exciting it was that he was going to be uh, the Democratic nominee for president. Um, and also the feeling that the night he won and feeling that the future seemed so much brighter. Um, so on one hand, when I listened to the speech, I sort of felt that because that's the kind of speaker Obama is. And he mm-hmm. has that way to move you and to bring you back to that time and place. At the same time, I sort of felt like you did, that it it was bittersweet in that I felt like that was sort of being ripped away from me. Yeah, I felt I, f- I had very mixed emotions about it. I always throughout the president's his presidency. I've wondered what is Obama really thinking? How does he really feel about this? And what is he saying versus what is he not saying? But really thinking. Um, and I, th- you know, I think I was left with that same question after watching his speech. I'm sure that he has so many thoughts that we just won't know about the last eight years and about the state of our country and things moving forward. But I thought he did a tremendous job. I think that he really, you know, to to be able to empower people in the the shadow of this looming presidency, which I think he was able to do for many people watching his speech, is so impressive to me. Um, and, you know, things are very complicated right now for our country, and he certainly acknowledged that. He acknowledged a lot of things wrong with our country that maybe it took him eight years to come out and say, but he said them, and I was really appreciative of that. So, yeah, so he definitely did kind of synthesize what the problem was with this country. While someone like me would say it's trash white people voting for white supremacists, <laughs> um, President Obama said, well, listen, actually what's happening is that people who have way more money than we can ever comprehend are using racism, sexism, homophobia, and all the other isms to split apart working class people. And they're using that fear and that hatred to make you guys fight each other while they keep on getting rich. He didn't say that in those exact words, but if you're paying attention to Obama... And yeah. Go ahead. No, I mean, that was sort of the most shocking thing to me that he that he said, right, was that and this is something that I definitely believe that while everybody can fight about who's right and who's wrong, at the end of the day, the rich are getting richer. These corporations are getting more and more money and profiting off of the poor. And, you know, to keep your eye on the fact that people are literally profiting off of 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 struggle of the American people and to not lose focus of that. Which I thought was really important. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I mean, I was glad that he to- spoke about race in a very candid way. At the same time, I felt like, why was why were these things not said by him necessarily sooner? Right. Um, but I think that's right. I think that, um, you know, that's a really important issue. Um, I know that, uh, you know... This economic issue is a large reason why we're having an argument about why Trump might have won or might not have won. And in one hand, you can frame it in terms of a race issue or you can frame it in terms of an economic issue. And how you frame that is really important. I actually think we have a clip of something like that about um, about what Obama had said about that, which we may play either now or later on um, in this segment. I do think we have a. We have guests on the line? Okay, so we have Ms. Deborah who would like to let her voice be heard. Good morning, Ms. Deborah. Hi, Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, listen, I just I just want to say that, you know, I, I think he's done a marvelous job. President Obama's done a marvelous job with what he was able to do. But um, and never let it be forgotten that he was blocked every which way. 
And let's not forget the job bill. I don't know all what was put into the job bill, but if this one that's coming in wants to be um, given credit for some of the things that uh, President Obama wanted to do, I think you should be very careful and find out because, you know, when, when, when Ronald Reagan came in, they treated him like he was Superman. You know, like he flew in and he saved the day. And uh, John Boehner said that they had the job bill and they weren't going to sign it. He said it. He said it on television. He said, yes, we have it, and we're not going to sign it. And that was right before he left being Speaker, okay? So, um, you know, they already knew in the first year that I believe that the American people, most of them would have tried to work with him, and they knew it. They saw the kind of, of, of you know, um, effect that he had talking to people. They would have worked with him. And so they blocked him every which way. So I don't really under, I don't really know fully what he may have done for us. Right. You know no, what, Miss Deborah, I completely agree. And I actually had a chance to speak to the Reverend Jesse Jackson, and he said the same thing. I asked him what could President Obama have done better, and he said if it wasn't for obstructionism and it wasn't for the Republicans making a vow to make him a first-term president and then try to basically destroy his legacy, then he could have done much more. He could have executed um, – he could have um, – gave more jobs to America. He could have even built a high-speed rail system. Um, and I believe that those things are true. So thank you for calling in with those comments. Um, do we have another guest on the line? Yeah, we do. We have Kenroy on the line now. Okay. So Let your voice be heard. Uh, hey, guys. Well, with Obama, yep, some of it, he, he dropped the ball, especially in foreign policy. But, yes, it was the Republicans that gave him hell, conservative Republicans from the Tea Party. Um, but o overall, Obama is going to be considered above-average president. Obamacare, it's a moderate success. It just needs to be fixed. It shouldn't be destroyed. Um, doing relations with Cuba, getting bin Laden, making sure that we didn't enter a Great Depression. Um, and what else can I think of? Um, those, um, but overall, Obama, he's going to be considered above-average. That's all I can say. Kenroy, thank you so much for calling in. Um, and we're definitely going to explore more of the Obama legacy in the second half of the show. So we'll um, definitely discuss some of those comments there. Um, for now, guys, if you do want to let your voice be heard, you can call us in and talk about the farewell speech at 212-650-6903. Are we going to the clip? Okay. We are auto industry. And unleash the longest stretch of job creation in our history. If I had told you that we would open up a new chapter with the Cuban people, shut down Iran's nuclear weapons program without firing a shot, take out the mastermind of 9-11, if I had told you that we would win marriage equality and secure the right to health insurance for another 20 million of our fellow citizens, So, guys, that was the wrong clip. That's a conversation we will be having in a second segment. We'll make sure we get that correct clip for you next up. But let's just continue the conversation. Well, just to continue speaking of the speech, I did want to um, open up to the panel and ask them, what were some of your favorite highlighting parts? For me, it was definitely when President Obama addressed his wife, Michelle Obama. He professed his love and grat gratitude 
for the girl of the South Side that he married 25 years ago. He, there were uh, tears in his eyes coming down his cheeks. I mean, everybody in there felt extremely sentimental. And there was even a part where she mouthed in response to him, I love you. And I was just like, this is what black love is. <sighs> this is the beauty, the resilience. This is who I want to marry. And like everybody. You marry Michelle Obama? No, Barack. And then like, look, you get what I'm saying. Like everybody was tweeting that, putting it on Instagram. They were like, my man better be like this. Like, and I was just like, that moment Your to man me. won't even claim you on, on <laughs> what? Facebook. What? Yeah, stop. First, who are you talking about right now? What not, do you mean? Not you what? in particular. I'm just talking about all the people that I was posting that. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, so that was definitely my highlighting favorite part. What, what would you say, Jackie, was I, one of your favorite parts? I think for me it was when he, you know, I'm an organizer, and he basically said if something makes you mad, you know, lace up your shoes, grab a clipboard, and run for office. Get out there, grab a petition, and, you know, make some change yourself. Like, you have the power to make change yourself. And if something upsets you or you don't like something in the next four years, you need to act, right? And a, a lot of what you're hearing these days is, well, this is the president that we've got. We have to give him a chance. We have to just accept what he's going to do. And if you don't like him, vote him out in four years. And the president literally said, no, if you don't like what's happening, get out there and make a difference yourself. Definitely. Alyssa? Yeah, no, I mean, I already mentioned some of my favorite parts. I actually wanted to go back to talking about what you were mentioning um, about Michelle Obama and, uh, you know, their relationship, which is this is one of the first I mean, first times in a long time, I feel like that we have not had a kind of scandal with or some kind of sex scandal, I should say, with respect to the president. Obviously, there was no issues with George W. Bush but, either from what I. But there were scandals with his family and there, his daughters. Yes. And, um, but there were definitely some scandals with his family and his daughters. Um, and obviously, we know Bill Clinton had his issues and there had been numerous other sort of scandals that had to do with family before then. And yet Michelle and Barack basically are like that model family throughout eight years. There was no major scandals with his family. There was no major sex scandals with him. Um, obviously, you can agree or disagree about some of the things that he did with respect to policy, which we're going to talk about in the next segment. But I think the one thing that you really can't say, even if you don't particularly like him, is that he was not a classy person. Um, I mean, him and his family are extremely classy. And I think that, you know, that's definitely like the model for the type of family that we like to see in the White House compared to what we're going to be getting, which I know we can talk about at the end of this segment. Yeah. So, guys, if you want to call in and talk about your highlights from the speech, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. One thing, one comment off of what you said, Alyssa, and then I'll share my favorite moment, which is actually the most petty moment of the night for me. Of course. It's... It's kind of sad that one of the things that we're like grading a president on is how well of a job he did at not having sex with someone who's not his wife <laughs> or, or how well his kids did at not getting in trouble for trying to sneak into bars and clubs when they were under the age of 21 or like how well they were at like usually trying not to lie about like egregious things. But there was a tremendous amount of pressure on that family to be perfect, right? Yeah. Yes. There was more than any other presidential family, I think, arguably that we've ever seen, right? Because and of who they are, because they are people of color and they far exceeded, I think, that, you know, they were like the model first family, but so there was that tremendous amount of pressure on them to be that. Let's be very clear. White America is racist and because white people expected Obama to come in there and drink Hennessy and have unprotected <laughs> sex and pop out kids and cheat and curse and they were wrong. So white America's like, oh my God, he's so articulate. He doesn't right. cheat. He doesn't beat his wife. And that's what that was. I'm not congratulating President Obama for being a regular person. White people right. can do well, that. So well, now, no. I 
no, let's, I kind of disagree let me, with that. I, you can disagree. I'm well, sure. no, let, let me just say why. I, wanted, I do want to talk about my highlight. Real quick. Go. The thing is, the bars, the thing is, okay, because he was the first black president, the bar was even higher. And the bar is always higher for black people. Like, I've been told since I was a child that you have to be better than Susie and Becky. You just reaffirm mm-hmm. what I said. Right. But but the thing is, I don't, but I think that not only did he do that, though, but he exceeded it. Well, what I'm, you reaffirm what I said. The point is that white people had those negative expectations, which is why he had to work twice as hard, which is why everyone's so surprised that. The president is articulate. What president has not been articulate before Donald Trump came in? Bush. Even Bush <laughs> could put a couple of decent words uh, together. Barely. He, barely. I would not use the word articulate Fool to describe George W. Bush. <laughs> Fool me twice. You can't get fooled again. You can't get fooled again. <laughs> I mean, but Bush was the Bush was the epitome of the white privilege president, right? This rich boy that like coasted through Yale, that like had a cocaine issue, that had a rich daddy who was the president, who well, then got put into abortion. yeah, who, who who then had some really you know smart guys get him into office and then run his presidency for eight years, right? Dick he Cheney. was the antithesis, yeah, complete opposite of Barack Obama, who was a self-made man, brilliant mind, who mm. exceeded everybody's expectations in because, he, because he had to, right? Out of necessity, because he were, could not act like but George Bush. But let's be very clear. It wasn't just because of George Bush. There were lowered expectations, particularly from white America, because he was a black man. And we should never forget that. And I will always point that out. Now, for my petty moment, when President Obama said, instead of arguing with people on the internet, go talk to them in real life. Yeah. At that moment, Marilyn <laughs> Linda, love of my life, of course, who is currently getting on my nerves, went from sitting in her seat across from me to sitting right next to me and putting her face next to mine and staring at me intensely. And I received multiple tweets and Facebook messages from people doing the same thing, more or less. No, but I think that's I think it's a good point. And I know we have to go on a, on a quick break um, so we can talk about that a little more when we come back. But I think all too often it's easy to yell at each other or pass each other when you're talking to somebody on the Internet. And when you really sit down with somebody in person who may disagree with you mm-hmm. on some things or may have voted for Trump and you talk to them about why they did or why they feel that way and you have a conversation face to face especially with people you like um, regardless of their politics then sometimes you can reach a little bit more maybe not common ground but understanding because of the fact that you have personal feelings towards that person that are not negative versus when you meet somebody on the internet you don't know it's easy to be nasty to them it's all venom is your mic on Stanley? (laughs) no my mic was not on sorry (laughs) Selena turned off my mic no I did not so it doesn't matter to me, you know, the internet or in person. If you voted for Trump, you're going to get some words from me. All right. So, and I actually refuse to argue with anybody that's an anti-Obama troll, and I tweeted that out. But anyway, we're going to go on a quick break. When we come back, I want to address the question of, did President Barack Obama actually heal the country when it came to race relations? Or is our country even more divided eight years later? Stay tuned. Let's take a break tonight, and then we'll teach them how to say goodbye. Just say goodbye. about neutrality sure. with Britain and France on the verge of war is this the best time on against partisan and we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Selena, I am taking over your segment. No, you're not. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. This is Stanley Fritz taking over for Selena Hill because my words are smoother and I'm way handsomer than Ew, Selena, who has a Kelly true. Kapowski part. I just want to say one quick thing. This song was a song that Jay-Z put out the day that President Obama was elected president in 2008. It's called History, and it was
was in honor of his election. So that's the song you were just hearing. Selena, the floor is yours. Very appropriate. So uh, where we left off, we were talking about Obama's farewell speech. And another highlight of the speech for me was when he basically called racism a threat to our democracy. He also said that race remains a potent and divisive force in our society. And he spent a considerable amount of time addressing race in America, which pretty much is unprecedented for a commander in chief. Now, the question I have for you guys, if you're listening, and of course to the panel, is did you applaud Barack Obama's comments on race or did you find it frustrating that he decided to take such a bold stand on race in his very last speech? Um, so, I mean, I think the answer to that for me is both. Um, like, I applaud that he mentioned those things. I think they're really, really important. Um, at the same time, I was frustrated because I felt like not enough has been done to improve race relations during his presidency, but also that he did not take these bold stands early enough, that had he had been talking about these things from the very beginning of his presidency, then maybe more would have gotten done. That said, um, they do say actions speak far louder than words. And the Department of Justice under President Obama has done more to advance the cause of civil rights than I think any other Department of Justice ever has done. Um, And especially now, and I I don't want to get into what I'm going to talk about during the quickie with Jeff Sessions coming in, who's potentially going to be heading up the DOJ. I think you're going to see the exact opposite of that. So I think that it's one thing to say things. And so you can be hopeful but frustrated but another thing to look at what he's actually done which i know we can talk more about during the second segment if president obama even looked in the direction of bet <laughs> white people would right. would automatically backlash and he would lose like um he would lose numbers in the polling anytime he's made any comment on race there's been a huge white backlash which is why he doesn't do it when he was running for office in 08 he made that pennsylvania comment he immediately got lost a bunch of white support when he mentioned how the cop acted stupidly by arresting that the, the harvard henry professor gates, henry gates yeah. Same thing. When he said my son will look like Trayvon, same thing. That's why he doesn't do it. And this is statistically proven, right? There's yeah. data that shows that after he came out and said, um, I think it was after Henry Louis Gates was arrested, yeah. putting his key in the front door of his own house um, because cops thought that he was robbing the house. This is a Harvard professor. Um, he said, well, you know, the the police officer was wrong here. We know that there's like a history of this kind of thing happening. His support amongst his amongst white voters dropped tremendously because they were like oh no now he's bringing in race relations into this right like we liked the idea of having this black man be president and moving past any kind of of racial inequality yeah yeah i think so and i think that by voting for him a lot of white voters thought okay we're moving past this now we don't have to address these societal ills and for him to even broach the topic was was overwhelming to many white voters and he lost a tremendous amount of support that way well that's that actually leads me to the next question that i wanted to ask you guys you know have race relations improved under the first black president or has the country become more divided and i want to ask that question uh keeping in mind that this is the president in which we which is basically like his presidency almost gave birth to the black lives matter movement um we see not birth to it but this is when the black lives matter movement was birthed under his presidency 
And I think that if you also think about what's been ha- what's happened in Ferguson, what's happened in New York City w- following Eric Gardner's death and all of the many deaths that were filmed on camera, whether it was Walter Scott, who was shot in the back five times in South Carolina, or it was Alton Sterling or Fernando Castillo, who we watched die on Facebook Live. You know, these all of these things happened during the last eight years and i feel like we not have not seen such raw sentiment when it comes to the black community and our allies speaking out against um police brutality and calling out for criminal justice reform since 19 the 1990s when we had the la riots following the beating of rodney king and then the acquittal of the police officers that we watched beat them up i want oh, i want to push well, back on you a little bit when you're done <laughs> oh, yes, I'm done now. So, <laughs> so that's, that's my, my point is, this this not really new. What's happening is the media could ignore it before, and social media has stopped that from happening. You had this kind of pushback before, um, even with Eric Garner's and the Trayvon Martins of the world. Those things were still happening, but the media wouldn't cover it. No, but hold on. Well, that was the over, question so that she was asking: Is do you think? it's better or worse. I would totally agree with Stanley. I don't think that it's better. I think it's amplified the what's happening, right? I think yeah. that it's harder for people who are not disenfranchised to ignore what is happening. And so many white people might think that, oh, things are worse. You know, race relations, quote unquote, are worse because because the message is louder. But I think that many people that have experienced these kind of actions their whole lives are not, are not going to say things are better or worse. But now you know, right? If you were able to ignore this at one point in your life, now you can't ignore it anymore. And so we're getting to a critical point where some change has to happen. But we're able, through social media, through the 24-hour media stream, we're able to amplify what is happening in race relations in America. I I, I do want to directly respond to that before we get to Alyssa's comments and then you can respond to everything that's being said. But, no, I mean, you guys are right. It's always been hard for people of color, specifically black people in America, but never before have we seen something on the level of the Black Lives Movement, Black Lives Matter movement, until we had civil the civil rights movement and the civil rights era in the 1960s. We've actually called here on this show Black Lives Matter civil rights the civil rights movement 2.0. So there is something to say about the escalation of race relations in this country. And if you ask me, I will say that it's it's gotten worse when you think of it on this on this scale. I would disagree. Alyssa. And I think the president would disagree. And I think the numbers disagree. I mean, the president, I think, hit the nail on the head when he said race relations are better than they were 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, no matter what some folks say. You not you don't just see it in the statistics. You also see it in the attitudes of young people. And then he went on to say, though, but we're not where we need to be. And I really think that was the antithesis of what he was getting at, which is, you know, yeah, if you want to compare now to what went on during Jim Crow, during during the 60s, things really are better. But that doesn't mean they're great. It doesn't mean that we have no more work to do. It doesn't mean that we live in a post-racial America. I mean, he ended up going on in that section to talk about what each different group could do. He said, um, you know, for black Americans, it means we have to, you know, do this. And then he went on to say for white Americans, it means you need to acknowledge the effects of slavery and acknowledge the fact that Jim Crow didn't end until the 60s um, and that you need to acknowledge minority groups who 
voice discontent and know that they're not just engaging in reverse racism or practicing political correctness. When they wage peaceful protests, they're not demanding special treatment, but the equal treatment that our founders promised. And I think that really gets to the crux of it. I think that's what makes us so annoyed that he's waiting until this last speech to bring these things up. Why did he not address that sooner? And yes, you could point to the fact that every time he brought something like that up, there was backlash from white America. But then we have to have a discussion about maybe it was the way in which he was bringing it up. To, To me, the way he brought it up in this speech, which is, you know, for you guys, you need to acknowledge this. That doesn't mean, you know, like this or that. It just means like you have to understand where these people are coming from. That's that's an important thing that we should talk about. I Bef- that. Be- before I uh, give it to Stanley, because I definitely want to hear you chime in. I do want to say this, Alyssa. When Barack Obama took office in 2009, the New York Times and CBS did a poll that suggested that two thirds of Americans regarded race relations as generally good. Now, in today's time, 69% of Americans assess that race relations are mostly bad. Mm. So, a couple of things. I reject the last part that you said that maybe it's the way that he was saying things about race to white people. White people freak out when you talk about race, which is why I'm so disgustingly blunt about racism now. Because I'm tired of sugarcoating stuff to make white people feel good about themselves. He didn't say anything crazy before. He said the cop acted stupidly when he arrested a guy for robbing a house that he lived in when the guy had a key and an ID. He was right. White people said, oh my god, he wants to put in white slavery. He said <laughs> if I had a son, he would look like Trayvon Martin. He was right. right. Yeah. And okay. then white people said, here he goes, trying to start a race war when black lives matters was protesting in ferguson and you had one half of the screen showing protesters getting tear gas and barack obama on the other side of the screen saying we are a country of law and orders and you have to follow the laws they said he was telling black lives matter to go burn things down this is not about how he was saying it to white people white people are fundamentally insecure about racism and react in a way that shows that they cannot handle it so if he could have gone out there and just said hey i think white people have done some mean things over the years to people of color or you could have come out there with a, with a Black Lives Matter t-shirt on and his fist up blasting NWA at the police and they would have gotten the same reaction. Moving forward, I will say that like the numbers that you're getting, Selena, they're from white people. <laughs> because ask any black person, race relations ain't improved nothing. And that's white people. No, they, it, no, black people are saying, no, the, the numbers say that it's been getting worse. Yes, but like white people thought they were good before when Obama got elected and since then, white people think it's gotten worse. You ask most black people, the, the best example is that Dave Chappelle's getting SNL when Donald Trump won the election. What a surprise. This is nothing new to us. What I will say is white folk are showing out a lot more since Trump got elected, which is why I keep on telling people, don't let your president-elect get these hands put on you. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think racism and racist people have been feeling more emboldened. And we've mm-hmm. been saying... But I mean, like, then again, on the other hand of that is ask somebody who grew up in Minis- Mississippi during Jim Crow whether race relations are better today, and they're going to tell you they are. That's like I saying, can ask that's, my grandmother that. That's like saying, well, <laughs> you used to have a, a gashing wound on your leg and now he puts a band-aid over it so it's still bleeding but it's not pouring on your leg it has improved but it's still a, a, a cut I there. mean even that's Obama was saying that yeah. that's exactly yeah. what Obama the president was saying, was saying. the point that, that I'm trying to make is like whether like you're not hanging people and having parties to hang them and set them on fire anymore is not happening anymore we still have an issue where you have people of color being lynched on live stream right. nobody and disagrees people, and people are like fighting it so i don't want to like make too much of a push to say that things have improved they have improved yes but not by that much and we have a serious problem of racism and it's gonna get a lot worse especially with this food in office so you think they stay the same it sounds like stanley to answer the question stanley thinks that things have gotten uh, pretty much stay the same mm-hmm. it sounds like Alyssa's saying they've gotten better and jackie what did you say again i said that i don't know that they've gotten better but they've definitely become more prominent and more eyes are watching what's happening in our country. I, I think that the the 
they become amplified. Well, I mean, I just want to say I didn't say that they got better. Okay, I said yes. that I think they are in some ways better than they were. But I still think that I agree with the president. We have a long way to go on race relations. OK, well, um, thank you for clarifying. We do have a guest on the line. We have Ms. Derber who would like to let her voice be heard. Yeah. First of all, I just want to say something. Don't talk about the South, because I'm really kind of tired of hearing that, that whole South versus North thing. Because you all up here, the liberals, the progressives, you all are more racist than you can. You're so racist sometimes until you don't even know that you, what you're doing a lot of times. I'm going to try to say that, because this way, if you don't know, then you, know, you don't have to be so frustrated about your behavior. But let me tell you something. I tried to get a job not too long ago, and when I could not deal with the white female and she saw that I went somewhere else, she almost broke her back trying to see the office that I went into. I thought she was going to fall. I almost prayed that she fell because it was none of her business. If you didn't want to help me, then you shouldn't have asked. You shouldn't have hung up on me, first of all, to tell me that you couldn't help me. And then when I went somewhere else, you did not want to deal with it. This is not the first time that this has happened, okay? You don't want to deal with your issues, and then you get frustrated about this, and you get frustrated about that. You try being black for a while. That's a good point right there. You try being black for a while. Um, Jackie, I know you want to respond. <laughs> oh, to that. no, I think Selena wants oh, to respond. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that when, I, like, um, I'm not sure who it's directly made uh, comments about the South, but my whole family is from the South. We're from South Carolina and North Carolina, mm-hmm. and we migrated um, during the Great Migration up to the North. Because so. of white terrorism. Basically. Yeah. And, um, you know, those hearing those stories and hearing that wisdom and, and hearing my great uncle to this day who recalls having to sit on the back of the bus and having to use the colored only water fountains. Um, stuff like that resonates with me. And I would say that even though those specific things aren't in law, we don't no longer have um, Jim Crow law. Uh, things definitely aren't nearly where they should be. And it's like they just moved a little tidbit on the scale. Just you be know. black and go to Howard Beach and see how far things have gone. <laughs> yeah. But, Seriously. you know, I think that the point that Ms. Deborah made um, at the end of that is is exactly the same point that the president was making in his speech at the end of that sentence, which is the point that I didn't read. He said, um, each one of us tried to heed the advice of a great character in American fiction, Atticus Finch, who said, quote, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view until you climb into his skin and walk around in it, which actually is one of my favorite quotes um, in that book. And, so. Well, speaking of favorite quotes, one part that really, really resonated with me was when Obama spoke directly to white America. And he said, for white Americans, it means acknowledging that the effects of slavery and Jim Crow didn't suddenly vanish in the 1960s. And I wanted to just say that that quote definitely was extremely powerful because I don't think that the first black president necessarily felt like he had a moral authority to speak to white Americans like that. And when he finally took it and spoke to white America and said, like, hey, guys, racism is very real. I was like, yes, thank you. And I mean, I don't know if something like that would resonate with people who are racist or have racist tendencies. But I know for as progressives, as a woman of color, that definitely spoke to me. 
I mean, yeah, the, the other thing about the race that I really wanted us to play the clip of is specifically about economics and about the economics between blacks and whites. And we had started to talk about it at the beginning of this segment. And I think it's really important. Um, unfortunately, we have not been able to actually get to the clips of it. But he talks about how um, if he literally says if every economic issue is framed as a struggle between a hardworking white middle class and an undeserving minority, then workers of all shades are going to be left fighting for scraps while the wealthy withdraw further into their private enclaves. Um, we did actually have that clip, but unfortunately we were not able to play it. Um, that said, I think this is a really important point because this is a, like more to do with economics than it is to do necessarily with race. Um, because people who occupy those you know, economic positions really are getting screwed or rising and falling together regardless of their race. And if, you know, as he points out, um, we don't look at the, the working middle class as one group, then the rich are going to keep getting richer while all the rest of us struggle, regardless of whether we're black or white or Hispanic or something else. And I think that's a really important thing we have to acknowledge. On that note, guys, we are going to take a quick break and jump into the news roundup for the next 20 minutes. But don't go anywhere because in the second half of this show, we're going to start to talk about Barack Obama's legacy, what that means, what he failed at, what he could have done better. And we definitely want you to let your voice be heard. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right you back know, on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Young rich, young rich, young rich. You know, so we ain't really never had no old money. We got a whole lot of new money, though. Hey! Raindrop, drip, drop top, drop top, smoking no cooking the hot box. Cooking on your bitch, yeah, dot, dot, dot. Cooking up deep in the crock pot, pot. We came from nothing to something. Hey! We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is our first show of 2017, and we are excited to be back here. It is Stanley Fritz, Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, and Jackie Cohen. Of course, we also have the immaculate Charles Cohen in the corner, and (laughs) as well as Ashanette on the internet doing the intern stuff and making sure she hits her two-step. And the song you were just hearing was Bad and Bougie from My Ghost. And the reason I'm playing that song... Migos! I'm I'm sorry. Get get, get it right. I'm not 13 years old, and I don't know their names by heart. As I was saying, the reason I'm playing this song is because my first story of the news roundup, and that story is, at the Golden Globes, Childish Gambino, a.k.a. um, Donald Glover, when he got his award, he said, I want to thank Migos for Bad and Bougie. And they panned to the crowd, and every non-black person in there looked confused as hell. So now you guys know what he was talking about. That's the song. That's that's the song. But guys, this is the news roundup where we talk about our favorite stories throughout the week. Things that made you laugh, cry, curse, flip a table, or even do a cat daddy. And there was a story this week that made me do a cat daddy. So here's the news, folks. Apparently... Someone did some opposition research on Donald Trump that said that he has been in a Russian's back pocket for at least the last five years. And Russia has some incriminating information about him, of his finances, of his personal life, and his sexual vices. And where he pees. So now. <laughs> not know where other people yeah. pee. Apparently, Donald oh, Trump true, yeah. allegedly booked the same hotel room that Obama stayed in when he was in Russia and he wanted to file it the best way he could. So he allegedly hired a whole bunch of Russian prostitutes to allegedly give him golden showers. Allegedly. Meaning what? And if you don't know what a golden shower is, Selena, <laughs> it is when... You can go look it up on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> yes, you can. No, you could just say it. Or you can go to www... No, not that site. But anyways, it's when you have someone urinate on you for pleasure. 
And because people who eat and drink unhealthily, their pee is golden. Mine's what a mine's nasty. Clear. Yeah, mine man. is clear too. <laughs> FYI. I just yeah. went to TMI, guys. What TMI. A nasty I mean, here's the man. thing about this is that, you know, and this is like, Drip we have to be drop. so careful because. Allegedly. Yeah, I mean, we have to be so fa- careful because of the fact that none of it's been verified, at least right now. And some of it may end up being verified and maybe it won't. But. You know, if it turns out that it is, in fact, fake and Donald Trump's obviously been calling it fake, then we essentially legitimize his position of you guys are spreading fake news about me because you have no other real way to attack me. And so while I do realize that it's an important story and I think if it turns out that it is true, it's going to be devastating. Um, But at the same time, I feel like if it turns out that it's not true, it's going to give Donald Trump the credibility that I just don't think he should have. Number one, I don't know how devastating it's going to be because he's said a lot of things that were not as devastating well, as they point. should have been during and his he's campaign. A and yeah, right. Right. So it's kind of interesting. Well, Warren um, is totally sterile. But anyway, I don't think that's true actually. But anyway, um, know, How do you know, Jackie? <laughs> Tell us. Uh, can't you drink it? Anyway, Selena, yes. you can't thank you, Alyssa. We've had, Alyssa and I had that conversation about a couple of weeks ago. Stuck on a desert island. And it's the only thing you have. Where you're gonna drink it? That's Thank you. So disgusting. Let's, anyway, no, no. Let's stop for a second <laughs> and just recap on what we just discussed here. Oh Jackie knows God. for a fact that urine might not be sterile. How we don't know. <laughs> Selena wants to know if she can drink her urine. <laughs> Alyssa confirmed it for her. Guys, this you guys is the know state. A lot of, this is the in. state of what politics is going to be in. Right. So for the next four years, on let we're your just keeping radio, up with political We're just going to keep up with you know who's peeing on who in DC. Right. Exactly. Go ahead, Jackie. Um, but but I think that if this is true, he's going to say it's fake news anyway. And then what we saw at his press conference this week, where he would re- he refused to answer questions from CNN because he said that they perpetuate fake news. He didn't even acknowledge BuzzFeed. He called them a pile of garbage, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> incredible. I mean, like, regardless of the of whether or not this is true, he will say it's fake news and he will refuse to answer questions or or work with any kind of media that puts the story forward. And what does that say for our country it's, you know what allegedly Donald Trump loves America so much he is getting foreign hookers to pee on him <laughs> he could <laughs> American well, hookers that's a problem well here's the question up for debate that I want to throw at you guys so was BuzzFeed right or wrong in revealing these unverified documents and then we know CNN reported on that and they got basically all the heat of it so were, were they right or wrong they were right the, all these media outlets were reporting unverified information by Hillary Clinton's emails for, for damn mm. near 16 months and now all of a sudden they want to be responsible no Good like point. go ahead like let drip drop all over his timeline <laughs> I get that I, like I, you know I don't know I just think we're focusing on the wrong thing I think that the real thing we should be focusing on is whether or not Donald Trump is compromised by Russia in any way right. regardless of whether it's a P video or whether <laughs> he has some other connections with Dr- Russia which is if Russia is dictating foreign policy to Donald Trump right. and he is then coming back to the United States and engaging in things in order to help the Russians um, you know that that's a real concern I mean, that is uh, basically the concern that our government is now in the pocket of another government, that our president is now in the pocket of another country. To me, that's more important of a concern than whether or not BuzzFeed should publish a dossier. Mike Pence is running foreign and domestic policy. Donald Trump can be free to get peed on and have press conferences. (laughs) So I'm not too concerned about that. What I want to know, though, Trump, did you get American workers to drip drop on you, allegedly? Jackie? No, I mean, I, I totally agree with Alyssa. I th- I'm less concerned with what 
Donald Trump did or did not do in his personal, you know, I n- already know he's a disgusting person. But so like, I, I, I'm not if you like to get peed on, then like that's your like, thing. That is like your For own sure. uh, business. I don't <laughs> care. I'm more interested exactly what Alyssa said and what his dealings are with Russia and if our security is at risk, if he is in violation of any kind of ethics laws. I mean, these are big issues and we're being distracted time and time again by the nonsense that the media is putting forward when there are major major issues at stake and the thing that got the most play was whether or not he got peed on right and that's not what's going to be so detrimental for our country what's going to be detrimental for us is whether or not he has vested interest in the dealings in russia and you know that could have some major political socioeconomic impacts on our country and we're not concerned with that at all no you guys are absolutely completely right and we definitely need need to continue to investigate there but i will say this when it comes to morality and the fact that he was um may have been cheating on his wife with these hookers that speaks to his character that shows how he is as a man his integrity and to me that's definitely an issue because i don't want somebody but we already know that he did this right he like (laughs) cheated on his last wife with his current wife like we know this about him already right he has admitted to sexual assault and harassment like we know this about him i don't know why every time something new about how disgusting he is comes up we all act like we're so like scandalized by it like he's gross he's gross he has told us that he's gross time and time again i think we need to shift our focus to the real things that he's doing with his political power to line his own pockets that is much more absolutely concerning and and you know what some of you and not in the studio but some of you listening you act like you don't do some kind of dirty stuff in your bedroom we know (laughs) that you're doing dirty stuff too so you shouldn't talk about his dirty stuff if you're taking golden showers no i'm not trump i'm not defending trump i'm defending the right to be kinky okay um on that note speaking of moving on yeah what'd you say that's not happening to no damn black family. Yeah, that that that's not normal for me and my family. Like, um, we can move on. And your anyway, family. You know, what, you know what else is not normal? When somebody goes and prays with people in a church and then takes out a gun and kills them all. Um, this week in white people. And so, <laughs> yeah, um, and if As you don't know what I'm talking about, people. I'm talking about Dylan Roof. Um, he is the person who shot and killed uh, many people down at the uh, church in South Carolina. It's North Carolina. Um North Carolina. Um, and so he was actually sentenced to death in his federal uh, criminal trial this week. He did not put on a defense or present any evidence in mitigation. Um, in fact, the only thing he said was that he was not crazy and um, that he hates people who are not white. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. So, yeah, he's sentenced to death. It's not a big surprise. We knew that more than likely they would uh, sentence him there. Um, we've had this discussion earlier on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And mm-hmm. I personally said that I would have preferred to, to see and watch him suffer for the rest of his life in a jail. But then again, he probably would have not been in a regular jail with like the regular population. He would have had right. basically some protective privilege. custody. Right. Protective custody. So it was to me, it's a catch 22 because he was suicidal after he shot and killed those churchgoers so and he wants to die so i feel like we're actually giving him a way out and that's why like morally and legally and like i'm i'm just against the death penalty all the way around i mean i think it's a very it's something that has dominated the four of us our our texts and phone calls 
together this conversation of whether or not he deserves to die, whether or not we believe in the death penalty for him versus for everybody else. And it's something that we could spend a tremendous amount of time. We could spend the whole two hours of our show talking about this one particular issue. But it's a very complicated issue. I think that uh, at the end of the day, we're not surprised that this is the result of it. Um, What he did was one of the most heinous things I've ever witnessed, you know in my life um and i mean i i don't think anybody here is upset with what is the result of this trial i just wish you can get the nat turner treatment I'll oh keep, i'll just leave it at that so for those of you who don't know you just don't need to know um i have some sort of breaking news donald trump went back on twitter last night to add some more insult <laughs> to john lewis so in case you didn't oh. know early, late this week john lewis said that trump was an, an illegitimate president that he felt that way trump went on twitter and said john lewis what have you ever accomplished why don't you focus on your failing district People got mad and came after Donald Trump. Donald Trump, because he's a piece of not good person. I'm going to say that because I probably because he wakes up early to snort coke and uh, allegedly, yes, <laughs> of and course, and go on allegedly <laughs> and go on Twitter. Yep. So at 7:22 p.m. actually last night, Donald Trump said Congressman John Lewis should finally focus on the burning and crime-infested inner cities of the U.S. I can use all the help I can get. See, 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 here's the thing, right? And today is... Hold, m- one second. You know how you could tell the black came out of Selena just now? <laughs> she sucked her teeth, moved her face towards the mic, and said, here's the thing. If she says sucker next, I know she's mad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so today is Martin Luther King's birthday, right? John mm-hmm. Lewis is a, civ- a living civil rights hero and icon. The thing that frustrates me the most is... Yes, President-elect Trump has been, you know, elected as president, but he's not reaching across the aisle to sort of um, work with people in Congress, work, work with our black leaders. Like, he's reached out to Steve Harvey. He reached out to Kanye. But it's like, I feel like he should he should be trying to work with John Lewis. And he should, instead of so- saying, instead of... Instead of looking at the reason why people don't think he's legitimate, I mean, obviously there's rumors, there's even some evidence that Russia helped influence the election, and also everything that he continues to say, which is extremely inflammatory, but instead of looking back at what he's been doing wrong, he's criticizing people who are giving him legitimate criticism. A, Donald Trump is a narcissist. B, the only kind of black people he talks to are Uncle Toms and Coons. I want. I don't know about that for Steve Harvey. I think he's just been. To- Steve <laughs> Harvey is the biggest Uncle Tom in town. He's the one the evidence, going I- to Chicago saying, "Hey kids, I know you're living in poverty, but cut off your dreads and you'll be okay." Okay. Well, there you go. So, um, yeah, I think that he should do a better job at speaking to real black. I leaders. mean, here's the thing that I think gets missed in all of this, which is if you look at the tweet he sent last night, the tweet that Stanley just read, it shows how inexperienced Donald Trump is and how much he does not understand exactly how our form of representative government works Mm. in that John Lewis represents one district, his (laughs) district. He doesn't represent every single inner city in the entire country. He doesn't have the ability to fix things in every single inner city in the entire country. He only has the ability to work towards doing things in his district and sure working with people from other districts you know, and to potentially improve things things elsewhere but this is i think the point that really gets lost in this this tweet in and of itself just shows how much experience donald trump is lacking that he doesn't seem to get that john lewis represents one single portion of the united states he does not in fact represent every inner city in the entire united states or yes. maybe donald trump knows that but he just doesn't care yes, either john way does because he's black and we all know that listen i went outside to come to the show i got shot right away 
that's just the experience of black people. And Selena, I know like you're just trying to be like be a responsible journalist and talk about this, but this idea that Donald Trump is going to reach out to have a conversation or be open-minded to anyone is a crock of garbage, and I refuse to let us ever perpetuate it in this studio and on this show. Donald Trump is a half-witted man-boy who is the color of pee, I wonder why, <laughs> and he does not know what he's doing, and the Republican Party is supporting him and perpetuating him, and problematic white people are telling me and you and Jackie and Alyssa too that we had to give him a chance. I don't give racism yeah. a chance. I give him these you hands. Know, speaking of this idea of giving him a chance, I actually, uh, you know, I'll tell you if you haven't had the opportunity today to go over to facebook.com slash politically preposterous and leave us a comment about this show, you can and you will see a meme that we ran this morning that says it's the Willy, condescending Willy Wonka and it says, oh, you've spent the past eight years demanding President Obama's birth certificate, claiming he wasn't your president and attempting to delegitimize his presidency and now you think everyone should come together and unite behind the newly elected president please tell me more i right. wonder if donald trump want to come together when he was in russia ha huh. jackie <sighs> <laughs> She's got take that a joke. deep breath <laughs> She's got that joke. guys i don't i don't know it's it's so right i mean you're all right it's so bad and i i really get frustrated when i hear people tell me you just have to you have to support him. He's the president. You know, this is what I think a lot of people felt. I mean, like, where was that for Obama? <laughs> right. Like, where was that mentality when Joe Wilson was screaming at him? You lie and disrespecting him to his face. Right. Mm. When like Newt Gingrich was out saying, oh, voters only like Barack Obama because he's an articulate black man. Like the amount of disrespect that he received unwarranted just for who he was entering into his presidency and then the same people have the audacity to tell me to respect Donald Trump in the next four years and at least if you know if if you don't like him vote him out but you should respect him and you should respect the office it, the hypocrisy of it just it astounds me and very rarely am I speechless but I am just speechless entering into the next four years well you know, you know speaking of that um I know it's another story that I wanted to talk about something that actually got me to tweet and i don't do that pretty often so right right so um basically uh, bernie sanders he actually presented a really healthy bill that would have allowed um health insurance companies in canada to start um selling their products here in america and like so basically um u.s companies wouldn't have a monopoly on things like the EpiPen, which is now hundreds of dollars so and no, I think like a dozen Republicans actually voted for the bill and the majority of Democrats voted for the bill, but it didn't pass. Why? Because a handful of Democrats actually voted against it, including New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. And it turns out that he received almost $300,000 in campaign funds from big lobbyist groups representing health insurance companies. So basically what I'm saying is this points out two things. The hypocrisy when we have, I mean, we know we have corporate Democrats. We know that we have these big pharmaceutical companies in their back pockets. But now I think we're finally putting some, what well, we should be putting more light on what's happening and what's been happening in our country. And they are the reason why we do not have affordable health coverage. Why Why is everyone surprised that Cory Booker Thank is you. bought and so, like he's always been yeah. this way. I don't understand why everyone. I mean, people should be mad because what he did 
did was wrong. Um, but he's always been bought and sold. Like, yeah. I don't understand why all like everybody forgets that he's had this huge corporate backing as if he's been anything but that. I mean, I think a lot of people like to look at him as this like liberal superhero because he'll run into a burning building and and rescue people and let them stay in his house during a hurricane. Right. But he's always been this way. He's yeah. always had a tremendous corporate backing. And I don't understand the like s- huge surge of surprise over how he how he voted. Yeah, this right. is nothing new. Cor- He's always been problematic. He's let the private um, charter school industry ravage New York when he was the mayor over there. This is this is not surprising. Here's the thing. I think that, like, you have to look at everybody on their individual issues, right? So, I mean, he could be good on something and yeah. on some things and, and bad on others. But just to give him at least the benefit of the doubt, since you guys have both taken the um, position uh, about the bill, but uh, on one side, you know, I'll sort of just give you, like, his side of it. This way we can let our listeners really make their decision and obviously... Obviously, they can tweet at us and let their voice be heard about the issue. Um, He essentially says that he supported the plan, but that it need to incorporate um, consumer protections that ensure the drugs coming into the country are safe. And he said the amendment that he voted against last week did not meet this standard. Um, He talks about the importance of having lower cost drugs and how he is committed to finding solutions to the problem of skyrocketing drug prices, um, but that he just did not for him felt that this bill met the standard that he was looking for. Like I said, you can agree, you can disagree, but obviously I wanted to put that out there to give people the the full story. Um, He goes on to say that, um, you know, he voted for other measures that will bring down drug prices, that he supports ways to find comprehensive solutions to this problem, um, and that, you know, he has, as the, he also talked about how how, when he was the mayor of Newark, he brought clinics, nonprofits, and drug companies to the table to develop a free drug discount card program aimed at cutting drug costs. So, you know, those are some of the things he's done that's the statement he put out obviously you can think that he is lying you can think that he's just I, putting that out it's not about but, him lying well go ahead selena yeah, yeah regardless the thing is for him to sort of act like these drugs in canada are so dangerous and they do not reach our standards when they're the same exact thing the canadians are using these drugs they're fine we can actually learn a lot from canada it, let me just push back on that for a half a second because it's not just about canada that may be true but you have to understand, and this is something I understand as a lawyer, when laws get made, sometimes they the best intended law actually has some things in it that end up opening up the doors for other unintended consequences that you don't realize. So sure, I agree with you. Drugs coming in from Canada are in fact safe. But depending on the language that is used in this law and the way that it's drafted, um, and I actually haven't seen it, so I won't pass any judgment on this exact law. I'm just saying in general. If the law is written in a broad way, then what could end up happening is drugs from other places that are not Canada, like India or other countries where there are not strict drug safety regulations, could end up start coming into the country. And you could say, well, this is just about Canada and the drugs from Canada are safe. And I would agree. But what happens if that law is written so sloppily that it now allows drugs to come in from other countries that don't have those standards and then America start getting sick? But doesn't he have backing backing from pharmaceutical? companies he does i mean that's a separate issue but 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 is it but why would he have any incentive to voting for this when he has backing from american pharmaceutical companies and why didn't he just add an amendment or when he rejected that put a bill with the changes that he wanted in there listen i think those are all really really good questions the only point that i'm trying to make is that sometimes there are unintended consequences to legislation because it's poorly drafted and a lot of politicians who otherwise support bills will vote against poorly drafted legislation to avoid some of the unintended consequences and say we need to have better laws i I totally agree 
agree with you, but I think at the end of the day, you need to follow the money. You need to follow the money, right? Yeah. And if he, it, I really have a hard time believing that he was doing this for the best interest of the yeah. American public when he is being personally financed by Big Pharma. But and you know, oh, go ahead, Stanley. The last thing was like, what about the FDA? Like, don't they make, like check the medicine to make sure like there's nothing wrong with them? Like, there's there's systems in place already. If they're not working well enough. He could have submitted an amendment. That happens all the time when someone doesn't like something about a law. They'll add writers in there, or they'll add something, or take something away. He didn't do that. He was not going to do that, or even put out the statement until the media picked up on it yep. so let's not cut him too much slack yeah, I mean if you want to argue and defend Cory Booker the only thing that I can think of because I like the guy as a person is I think maybe he's looking at it like this if I vote again if I vote against this and I don't get the donors the next time around when it comes to running for election how am I going to support my campaign there's money in politics exactly. you got to get your hands dirty maybe he's looking at it like that which is why we need publicly financed elections. But yes. guys, we are running a little behind. We're going to go on a quick break. When we come back, we will be having a deeper conversation about the legacy of President Barack Jaquan Hussein Obama. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. DJ Pat him down, count the money, let him see the work. Yeah, that's the definition of a major key alert. Another, nothing gotta die. Won't be the first, won't be the last. All we see is cash. Your real story don't match what you rapping about. So keep the movies in, stop acting out. And I ain't talking about no watch or no cars neither. Everything will get copped at a law's leisure. Was a crack monster, I had that hard fever. Switch from the ball. That's Get some cornflakes some hot wings. Yeah. If the 808 still bump, why you blasting them for? Ashnet said this song got knocked off the charts. It did oh, get knocked off the charts by Bad and Bougie, if you guys are wondering. And if you were just tuning in, you are wondering why I'm talking about Black Beatles and that girl. It's a rock, real crowd pleaser. And why our, our intern is talking with no mic on about a song <laughs> that no one has heard yet if you are not listening or watching the Golden Globes. It's because we are here on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. And my name is Stanley Fritz. I am here with Selena Hill. I'm also here with Alyssa Fuchs, Jackie Cohen, The Immaculate Charles, or Charlie if you're nasty. And of course, I on the internet with the deep dimples that she puts her fingers in and says boss because that's how she does it but and the song go ahead Alyssa I was going to say you know what my favorite song is right now what Sia the greatest with um, oh, great song what's no it's a name? good song who's the rapper who's on it whose name know. is escaping me at the Kendrick moment Kendrick Lamar yeah thank you Kendrick Lamar I you gotta having, play that I was having a that was a your moment. hidden fences moment <laughs> <laughs> So, guys, we are back, and if you're wondering what song we were playing, it was a song called Black Beatles. So, let me tell you a little bit about Black Beatles. Black Beatles is a song that came out about eight months ago, maybe a little bit longer, and it's from this group called Ray Shrumman, and they had a really popular album about a year or two ago that everyone liked, but they put this album out, and no one really noticed anything. And if you listen to it, it's a pretty good album. It had a lot of good things in there. It also had some flaws. And then one day... Somebody just came up with a challenge they wanted to do. They called it the Mannequin Challenge, where you'd play the song in the background and everyone would stand still as if they were mannequins. And it was probably made up by like a 14-year-old black kid somewhere. That's usually how these challenges get made up now. And it picked up. We did it in the studio a couple of months ago. Hillary Clinton did it on, on her plane oh, when she was flying to lose the election. 
the Trump administration <laughs> does it every time you ask them what what they're going to do for black communities. Yeah. I don't um, recall. That's what they say. Yeah. So like a lot of people have been doing it, and then all of a sudden this song jumped to the, the, the top of the charts, and everyone loves this song, and everyone loves the album. But it took until like a long time after it came out, and for somebody to mention it offhand for that to happen. And I know this is going to sound like a weird transition, but now we're looking at President Obama and his legacy and everything that he has done in four years. He has done so much that there are things you will not hear about until much later. And then all of a sudden, like Black Beatles, you'll be like, wow, that was great. So because Black Beatles inspired me and because Barack J. Kwan Hussein Obama is always putting out them hot tracks with the hot fire, we are here to talk about his legacy. So as you guys all know, eight years ago, President Obama was um, he had his inauguration. He became president of the United States. But before then, on November 4th, 2008, President Barack Obama demolished John McCain in a general election to become the first African-American president of the United States. And it was an amazing moment for every single person in this room and people outside of this room and all over the world because it was history in the making. And I remember the next day I was on campus at SUNY Old Westbury and they had made this like puzzle poster of Barack Obama and put it on the wall. And the day at the election, they had fallen apart. And I said to myself, man, I hope that's not a metaphor for his presidency. And every day since that day, I've been waiting for a chance to finally talk about what his presidency meant and what kind of impact it had. And finally, we are at that moment, guys. So after eight years, after plenty of segments about what he did wrong or what he did right, after a whole bunch of arguments about the Republican Party, after two crazy elections, and then now a third one for um, the, the people that will replace him that has us all depressed, we are finally here to talk about the legacy of America's first black president, Barack Obama, the man with a funny name who grew up in Hawaii and Indonesia who became our president, and hopefully represented the best of us. So I want to start this segment off before we talk about any kind of policy. I just want to know where everyone is at right now because this is becoming more and more real every day. Selena, I'm going to save you for last because I already know, like, you got a lot of feels behind this. <laughs> so I want, to, I want to save you. So, Jackie, go ahead. I It's a very – I'm a lot more emotional than I thought I would be this week. I mean, I knew that I would have a hard time. I had a really hard time after the election. But I'm, I'm definitely very emotional. Like, I think back uh, to 2008, and it makes me emotional. I think about who I was and, you know, where I was. I It was the year, I think, that I became – politically active and politically involved and I met my closest friends to this day who are all very politically aware and brought me into activism and into caring about liberal politics and you know 2008 was the first presidential election that I had the opportunity to vote in um I was 19 and I voted for Barack Obama and I think of the people if I had been eight years younger, right, and voted in this election. I obviously would not have voted for Trump, would have voted for Clinton. And to have the exact opposite kind of experience is so upsetting to me because I think of that moment in 2008 as what like sparked a tremendous fire under me to become politically active and make it my life's work, right? And I think about how different my life could have been if it was 2016 and the same thing happened. And would I feel the same way about politics? Would I have the same sort of optimism? that I had then I don't know um, and it's really it's it makes me very sad in a lot of ways before we go to Alyssa I just want to say if you guys want to share your stories our number is 212-650-6903 or and it's probably better 
go to Politically Preposterous or Let Your Voice Be Heard's fan page and write them down, and we will get to them as soon as we can. Alyssa. I mean, yeah, I, I think it was it's really bittersweet, um, and I expressed sort of how I was feeling when I listened to the speech during the first segment. Um, but I will say, you know, in terms of his legacy, I feel like there's a lot he accomplished that he doesn't get enough credit for. Um, I think there's a lot that he could have accomplished that people say, oh, well, he failed at, and it wasn't really his fault. The things like, for example, infrastructure that uh, Republicans essentially refused to do for the past eight years and blocked him on and because they were complaining about the debt and the deficit. And now all of a sudden, you know, the debt and the deficit don't matter and they want to do infrastructure. Um, you know, and then I think that there's a lot of things that, you know, I think we should look at Obama very critically about, um, for example, like foreign policy in terms of what's going on in Syria and the humanitarian crisis that's going on in Aleppo and stuff like that. So I think this is one of those things where, you know, you can say in this eight years, there's been a lot of good. uh, There's been some bad. And there's been a lot of things that are frustrating that we know would have gotten done if not for Republican obstruction that went on. Overall, though, I think that history Judge pres- judges presidents, not the present. And I think it's probably going to take a good 10 or 15 years before historians can really look back and see the full effects of an Obama president be- see, sorry, presidency, because some of the things that were done are going to have effects over time. And you're not really going to look at be able to say whether or not they were accomplished fully until many years out looking back. Uh, in, in terms of history, um, you know, they say history judges presidents, not the present. Mm. Um, at this state, I'm just extremely just saddened um, and unhurt. At one point, sometimes I think like, you know, I just wish I could just fast forward to the future and see what the next four years is going to be like. But then I st- then I think to myself, like, it might be so horrible. Let me just enjoy the moment for what it is. Sometimes I feel frustrated because I feel like us as progressives, we did so much to try to carry on and push for these progressive policies and this agenda and we're trying to fight and fight for justice and then we have a person who represents the exact opposite elected to run our country and our country is also run by so many of people like his cronies in the house in the senate and in governors i mean all in all of these are republican governors across the nation and it feels so discouraging at this point but when it comes to barack obama's legacy i would say that him as the first black man to occupy a white house that was built by slaves is history defying in itself and a history accomplishing moment that they will never be able to tear away from barack obama they can take obamacare they can they can they can take the Affordable Care Act. They can try to roll back a number of his legislations and a number of things that he did, but they will never take that away from him and us. You see why I made her go last? Yeah, yeah. no, and, and I'll just I just wanted to add the the one thing I left off in my comments is I think that in terms of policy, uh, history will in fact judge him kindly yeah, um, when too. we look back on it. On the other hand, though, there is one thing that at least frustrates me that has absolutely nothing to do or, well, actually, that's not true. It has a lot to do with Republicans in terms of gerrymandering and voter ID and stuff like that that I know we'll talk about. Um, But, you know, under Barack Obama, they really did lose the House. They lost the Senate. Like, there's a lot of governorships that are not occupied. And so then we have to ask ourselves, like, is that 
a representation of people pushing back against Obama's policies and Obama's legacies? Or is that a representation of Republicans rigging the game so that only they could win? So I was actually going to say that question for a little later, but since you brought it up and I think it's worth talking about, let's ask it now. I'm going to reframe it just a little bit. So do you think the fact that Democrats have lost so much ground on a local level should be put as Obama's fault or something that he influenced or is it bigger than that or we'll do three actually so is it his fault is it bigger than that or is it a combination of him and just circumstances of of all the things different things happening and I'm going to throw that question to Jackie first because she looks interested that Democrats have lost ground like in Congress and Congress Senate State Senate Alderman local positions school boards I don't think that's just his fault I think that the system is designed in a way our districts are drawn in a way where that's going to happen right I mean there's like a reason why gerrymandering is a huge issue and it's because certain parties can control well, I'm going to cut you off for one second explain to our listeners what gerrymandering is gerrymandering is drawing political districts in a way to capitalize on who lives in there to get the vote in the way that you I, I'm so terrible I'll, I'll, I'll do it real quick sorry so yeah. gerrymandering so first thought the I'd, what they for as long as we can remember like the people in office, like the, the majority leaders in office, so in Congress and the Senate, they have to kind of like decide what lines will show the barriers of each district and what kind of people will be in those, in those spaces. So they might say from like, we'll use Harlem, for example, 125th Street to 96th Street will be Jackie Town, right? And then they'll say 95th Street to 51st Street will be Selena Town. And you have to do that for all of New York to cut up these different districts. But think about that on a larger scheme. Now, what Republicans have started to do is, like, cut these districts so that the places that they are in charge of... I mean, it's not like they started to do this. This has been happening for years, and it's based on the census. And so every, what, 10 years, years Congress gets to go in and and keep power, right? So if you have a Republican Congress, they're going to design districts that are going to win them elections, right? And so sometimes you see these really weirdly drawn districts that aren't based just on geography, but on population. So you can draw districts that cut out black communities, for example, and sort of circle around them to encapsulate more white people so that the, you know, in the winner takes all system, you're getting the most votes towards Republican candidates. So it's really impossible to gain more power when you have these severely weirdly drawn districts all over the country and the party in power is the one that controls those districts so when republicans won back congress in 2010 that's what that's how they were able to do that go ahead right Right. and so that's exactly where i was going to come in and what i was going to talk about which i think it is partially a fact of the system being rigged that they rigged the game but i also do blame obama in some respects because of what you just mentioned which is in 2010 we had the rise of the tea party a lot of people felt that you know, there was certain things that they didn't like was going on. I don't think that Obama did a a good enough job of getting Democrats to turn out in the 2010 election. Um, And he did not use that popularity that he had in 2008 to get so many people out to vote. A lot of Democrats stayed home in 2010. Mm -hmm. Republicans, especially Tea Party members, did not stay home. And that was the year that the census was being done and the redistricting happens. And so I think if Obama would have done a better job of getting Democrats to come out vote in 2010, Democrats would have won more seats and Republicans would not have been totally in control of the entire redistricting process. And therefore, we would have had a better opportunity. So I think it's a combination of both. I'm going to reject a piece of what you said. Democrats were like straight up telling Obama not to show up to their states at that time. He was that, That's how unpopular the Affordable Care Act was because they had just passed it. And they, they, they wanted nothing to do with Obama. I remember that election. All right, fine. So it's their fault also. But I'm like, Democrats really screwed the pooch on that one. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. So, guys, we do and have to go. And he's the head of the Democrats. So, right. guys, we do have to go on a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about our favorite policies, and we'll we'll try to like wrap up at least that portion of the conversation. But we don't want to get too too stuck in the woods of that area. This is let your voice be heard. Fast cars. I love jury. I love people, but I don't love these women. I don't know what it is about me. I don't know. It's just something that I just I just can't do it. I just can't WHCR ninety point three FM I to be New York. In a relationship because I just. I, I just don't like, I don't like this, you know what I mean? I'm sorry. I need help. Hey, we going steady. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And yes, it is true, GZ, my president is black, at least until January 20th, and then he will be pea-colored. So, if you are just tuning into this segment, we are having a great conversation about President Barack Obama's legacy. And one of the questions we asked before we went on break was, is President Obama to blame for the amount of ground that Democrats have lost in local offices and that answer kind of came in inconclusive because some felt like yes and yes and no and others felt well yeah pretty much yes and no but now we're going to be shifting gears a little bit and just be talking about some of the monumental policies that he's been responsible for and if you want to join in on that conversation you can give us a call at 212-650-6903 again that is 212-650-6903 Alyssa has a great listing of some of the things that he's done that you may have forgotten or not have known so I want to throw it to her first right so I mean he created more private sector jobs were created um, during his entire eight years than were than were um, sorry in 2010 than Bush created during his entire eight years. He signed the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. He repealed Don't Ask, Don't Tell. He expended, uh, extended hate crime legislations. He expended federal benefits to same-sex partners. He cut prescription drug costs. He helped establish the Communer- Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and signed financial reform, which is Dodd-Frank, which I know you want to mention. We have the Affordable Care Act. He signed the START Treaty to reduce nuclear arms. We have same the legalization of same-sex marriage. And I could go on and on and on about the numerous policies that were uh, and things that were accomplished during his eight years in office. Jackie, do you have anything you want to mention as well? Yeah, he also put two tremendous women on the Supreme Court, Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor. Sotomayor is a huge personal hero of mine, um, but two tremendously brilliant, you know, progressive, smart justices on the Supreme Court um, who are reasonably young considering the, the average age of the court. So um, they'll be on there a long time, hopefully. There we go, Selena. He also commuted the sentences of hundreds of prisoners 10 times the number of his five predecessors put all together, and that definitely helped to reverse some of the rate of black incarceration. But he didn't push any legislation towards criminal justice reform, and there were bills in Congress and Senate. No, that's not true. Not any. Any would be the wrong word. You have the Fair Sentencing Act and the Smarter Sentencing Act. Those are both criminal justice Yes, but like, that wasn't something that he really put his muscle behind. That was something that he was like, this is good, and he signed off on it. But in relation to criminal justice reform and the school-to-prison pipeline and all those issues, he was never very aggressive about that. that those aren't aggressive policies that address that? Well, like I said before, like those are things that were already in the pipeline that he was like, oh, this is good. But in relation to all the problems that we have, he never really made a huge aggressive campaign to address some of the root issues that a lot of people are in agreement in needed to be addressed. Well, when it comes to that, is did we push him to do that? Did we say, Obama, do this? Here's a list. Here's our agenda. We didn't push him on a smart treaty. We didn't push him on the climate agreement that he had over there in, in Europe. Well, we, well he kind of set that out. Like, we knew what he was going to do in his first yeah. 100 days, and climate change was huge, was one like a huge part of his agenda. I think that a lot of times when it comes to us in the black community and activists and things like that, when we say, Obama, you didn't do anything for us, what did we ask him to do? Well, he's a president. He should... 
if he's going to lead, he should be leading. I think you're cutting him a little bit too much slack. However, yeah. I will let the man speak for himself because oh. he has some things that he has to say about what they have accomplished while he was president. So this is President Obama speaking at his farewell address. We're going right back to this clip again. If I had told you eight years ago that America would reverse a great recession, reboot our auto industry, and unleash the longest stretch of job creation in our history, if I had told you that we would open up a new chapter with the Cuban people, shut down Iran's nuclear weapons program without firing a shot, take out the mastermind of 9-11. If I had told you that we would win marriage equality and secure the right to health insurance for another 20 million of our fellow citizens. So that was President Obama highlighting some of the things in his legacy. One of the first things he said in there was that we got out of a great recession. A big piece of that, the reason we got out of that, according to the Obama administration, was the stimulus package. So if you guys remember, in 2009, President Obama um, proposed a stimulus package, and it was for $797 billion. And about $288 billion of it was spent in just tax cuts. $224 billion was spent in unemployment benefits. And then the rest was distributed towards paying for schools to not have to fire their teachers and investing with grants and loans in small businesses and new innovations. So things like solar energy, wind energy, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people, Republicans mostly, felt that the stimulus package didn't do anything that the president said it would do, which is it was going to stop the recession and it was going to create jobs. In the final grading, the stimulus package saved about a million jobs, also got created about 3.3 million jobs and was responsible this year alone for 76,000 jobs. So that's um, one, of, one of his biggest pieces of legislation, also one of the first. I mean, uh, he actually, economists have, have looked at this, have said that he is going to be handing Donald Trump basically one of the strongest American economies that we have seen in over 20 years, that the economy has essentially has not been this strong since Bill Clinton was president. Um, and so, you know, th- I think this goes back to also about false information and the fact that we live sort of in, in our own bubbles and two separate worlds, which is the facts show that the economy is really doing great. Now, I do. I will also address the fact that there's still the issue of the wage gap. You know, however, wages are, in fact, rising, which is something he addressed in his speech. That said, if you go to talk to somebody who lives in Republican land or Trumpistan, they'll tell you that the economy is horrible and that Barack Obama ruined the economy. So, (laughs) um, you know, seriously, I mean, like, you know, talk to some of these people and that's exactly what they're going to tell you. And they'll say that, you know, the reason they like Trump is because he's a businessman. Um, So there is sort of this disconnect between reality and the reality that certain other people see. And because of that disconnect and because of the fact that, I don't know, facts don't matter anymore, I think that's another big reason why Obama doesn't get as much credit as he should get for how good the economy actually is. I heard, um, I guess, a criticism. I heard a a commentator on on Obama's presidency comparing things that Obama did wrong to what Trump will do right in regards to optics. And that really scares me that he, you know, he basically said there were so many missed opportunities for for Obama to take credit for these great things that he did and really like shove it in people's faces. And he was like, don't get it wrong. Trump will not miss a single one of those opportunities to take credit for things that he does or perceives to do. Right. He will put that in people's faces, all the great things that he's doing, whether or not he's actually doing them. Thank you so much for that, Jackie. So, guys, we do have another caller on the air. Uh, Miss Patricia Smith, let your voice be heard. 
Good afternoon. My name is Patricia Smith, and I'm calling because of the fact that I was born and raised in Chicago, and my people have been there since 1929. And for the South Side of Chicago, got worse under Barack Obama, must I say. Much more violence and everything. And that is a fact. I'm not putting no one down. I just have to deal with the real world. Thank and you very much for that, Ms. Patricia. We really Thank appreciate you your that. comments. Um, Selena, I saw your hand raised. Would you like to make a comment? If not, I'm going to respond. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to hear your response yeah, as well. South, South Side of Chicago has definitely gotten significantly worse since President Obama's, since Obama has been president. I wouldn't necessarily attribute that to being his fault. I would attribute that to like a, a historically like unfair treatment of black people in Chicago, redlining, lack of funding to schools, and lack of jobs. And unemployment is 65%. Is 65% for young black males in Chicago, you have a problem there, and it looks like the governor and the mayor are failing to address those issues. Now, was there ever an effort by President Obama to, to like do something to stimulate that economy or to help those issues? Most people would say no. Some might say yes. They might say my brother's keeper is an example. But that's up for debate. I would not put the blame all on him. Well, the Obama Foundation is setting up in Chicago, so we'll see what he does as a private citizen. But I'll also add the thing that I started with when I talked about the Department of Justice. Under Barack Obama's Department of Justice, there's now a scathing report that has come out about the Chicago Police Department. If you think that Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump are going to put out a report like that that vindicates the civil rights of black Americans that are living on the south side of the Chicago and says, that the police department is corrupt and routinely violates civil rights, you're crazy. The DOJ is never going to put out that kind of report under Jeff Sessions, under President Donald Trump. So, you know, there's, yes... There's only so much that a president can do in terms of local politics when it comes to cities, when it comes to states, because of the way our government is set up between the federal government and the state governments and local governments. At the same time, as I point out, the Department of Justice has done a wonderful job of vindicating the civil rights of everyday Americans in places like Chicago, like Ferguson, like Baltimore, and you're not going to get that vindication under Jeff Sessions' Department of Justice. Reports don't stop people shooting each other and people not having jobs. I think that's where Miss Patricia's sentiment is. Jackie, I want you to have a chance to respond. Yeah, I just, I really appreciate Patricia's call because it brings home the fact that we can sit here in New York City and speculate about how things are and how people are perceiving his presidency to have gone. But at the end of the day, these are people's lives that we're talking about, right? Politics isn't this transactional thing, even though our politicians think it is, right? At the end of the day, these are policies that affect people's lives. I understand... I would understand being from Chicago where Barack Obama calls his home, right, and seeing this happening and being frustrated with the president for not taking more direct action when he considers this, you know, his home base. I would I would be supremely frustrated by that. Right. Stanley? Yeah. So just we, we, we do have to wrap this segment up. I did want to pick up on something that Miss Patricia just said. She just called me back and she said, and I, and I want to quote this, you guys are going to be annoyed, but she said, one thing we're not talking about is that the and I'm quoting her, just not my sentiment. She feels like the illegals and the Mexicans are taking all the people's jobs in Chicago. And that sentiment not is not only false, but it's also how you can understand how Donald Trump gets elected into office. You can understand when that kind of sentiment is believed. Jackie? Right, that wrong sentiment. And not only, I mean, and something that President Obama was really terrible on was immigration, right? And at one point he was referred to as deporter in chief. 2.5 right? million. I mean, it's unbelievable. And he did that as like a transactional move with the Republicans to proceed for to get that perception of power, right? Like I will deport all these immigrants so that you uh, so that I have respect by the Republican Party, which he did not get. And yeah. what was it all for? Right. I mean, I think that that's like a terrible sentiment that she shared with you and just completely 
incorrect. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would agree with that. I will say in terms of failures, because I don't I, I think that we should address them. I think another big failure is with respect to um, there was not enough done to end the war on drugs. Um, but that is domestically in terms of farm policy. There is some debate to be had about the number of drone strikes and the number of um, people who have been killed overseas um, under the Obama administration. Lots of people have said in some cases people have been killed without the correct process, that those were people were innocent. On the other hand, people have argued that drone strikes have actually reduced the number of civilian casualties um, that used to occur when we used B-52 bombers. That is obviously a larger debate that we are not going to be able to get into on today's show, um, but that is definitely um, something that people have brought up about his failures, especially people on the left or on the far left and people that support uh, Jill Stein and the Green Party and why they have been so disappointed with the Obama administration has been issues of foreign policy and uh, um, the toppling of governments and getting involved in Libya and all those other issues that we're not going to be able to mention. But I'm going to end on, um, you know, a, a quote that he actually gave in his speech. Um, that I don't think we're going to be able to get to the actual clip, but I'll read you at least part of it. He says, our democracy is threatened when we take it for granted. All of us, regardless of party, should be throwing ourselves into the task of rebuilding our democratic institutions. When voting rates in America are at the lowest among advanced countries, we should make it easier, not harder to vote. When trust in our institutions is low, we should reduce the corrosive influence of money in our politics and insist on principles of transparency and ethics in public service. When Congress is dysfunctional, we should draw congressional districts to encourage politicians to cater to common sense and not rigid extremes. Yeah, so my final thoughts on this conversation sounds like that's what we're doing right now. Um, I do want to, before I get to them, I just want to say thank you again, Miss Patricia Smith, for calling in, uh, letting your voice be heard. I will say that it's completely incorrect that uh, undocumented workers are taking people's jobs. They actually do the jobs that Americans don't do and won't do, and they do it for such low wages that it keeps our economy going. Like it keeps people like uh, Donald Trump in business and and gives and, and gives these corporations the opportunity to, to increase their bottom lines by like a hundredfold. So that's what's really going on. But I will say this, when Barack Obama ran for office and he presented this vision of hope and for a unified America, he promised that it would not be immediate. In fact, he said, and I quote, the road ahead will be long. Our climb will be steep. We may not get there in one year or even in one term, but I promise you we will we as a people will get there. And I will say, just based on who Barack Obama has showed himself to be as a man as a, and as a leader, it's extremely optimistic, extremely hopeful, and very diplomatic. And I think that he tried his very best to shift the country in that direction. He also came into this country when we were undergoing a cultural and technolo technological revolution. And I think that the changes that he wanted to implement, unfortunately, America was not ready. They were not ready for it. And I think that Barack Obama's legacy should be ingrained as something that is historic, historic. But unfortunately, because Donald Trump has promised to underdo some of his biggest progressive victories, we might have literally make take this country back a couple decades. So and it's on no fault of Barack Obama at all. I would say it's more so like, yes, he had some failures when it came to criminal justice and it came to immigration. But for the most part, he told us that I'm going to push for this progressive le legislation and this agenda. And he did that. So I'm going to make this very quick and I'm going to use the office to help me out in this conversation. In the last episode of the office, um, I remember Andy 
said to himself, he said, when I was here, I used to always talk about my time at Cornell and how it was the best time of my life. And I was always trying to get those times back. And it really stinks now because I realized that while I was trying to get those times back, I was living the best times of my life. And I wish that you could just know that automatically. And having said that, what I really want to do is thank um, President Obama, the man, one of the greatest presidents of all time, who did everything but never did enough. I think that history will grade this man well. I think that we have had the opportunity to see one of the best to ever do it, do it. And as these next four years come through, we will learn to miss him and really appreciate what he has done. But for us, and I know I sound crazy saying this, but I really want to be like my heroes, Martin Luther King and um, Stokely Carmichael and Barack Obama, and not be eaten alive by the anger and hatred that we have here. This time more than ever, we had to be able to fight, to stand up, protect our allies, but most importantly, we have to love. Oh. It's, it's, it's really that simple. And that even goes to the garbage Trump supporters. <laughs> we have to find some kind of love and empathy for them as well, because it's either we learn to live together or we die as one. And that's my final thoughts. Thank you, Obama. We are going on a quick break. When we come back, it'll be the quickie. And we're back. So my name's Alyssa Fuchs. I'm your legal correspondent. I'm now going to give you the quickie. Has anybody been watching the confirmation hearings? Yes. yes. What yeah, do you guys think? Uh, it's just like, uh, uh, it's frustrating. All right, good well, enough. So, I, yeah, can't it, it might be frustrating, but it's actually Congress's most important job right now. Um, and, of course, in an effort to push Trump's nominations through in as little um, with as little debate or transparency as possible, um, Republicans are basically scheduling a whirlwind of hearings back to back. In fact, actually, the Democrats tried to do something very similar back in 2008, but Republicans had a fit. And Mitch McConnell actually sent Chuck Schumer a letter in complaint. And this week, Chuck Schumer actually took that letter, crossed his name on it, put Mitch McConnell's name on it, and sent it back to him. Uh, so now, because of some ethical issues, which I'll touch on in about a bit, um, the, and some other scheduling issues, Democrats have or obviously been complaining about both of those. Republicans eventually had to cave and push some of these hearings back. That said, there is a lot of work to do to prepare for the upcoming Trump administration, um, and so I wanted to kind of explain to you what is going on in Congress. One of the things that Congress has the obligation to do is conduct confirmation hearings. This comes from a law known as the Constitution, specifically from Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution, which is called the Appointments Clause, and it empowers the President of the United States, actually in this context, the President-elect, to appoint certain public officials with the quote-unquote advice and consent of the U.S. Senate. This means that the Senate must hold hearings to essentially interview the President-elect's nominees and decide whether or not they are going to get their jobs through a vote. 
If the Senate votes no, then the president-elect has to reappoint another person. If the vote is yes, then the person that the president-elect appoints gets the job. There are actually approximately 690 positions that need to go through this process. So it's not just this big level positions that you're hearing about. It's actually every ambassador, people that go work for the U.N., people that work for the State Department, and many other lower level positions that don't have to go through a confirmation process. All in all, there's about 12 hundred positions that the president needs to make appointments to. And so far, he's only made about 63. Uh, So obviously, President Trump, sorry, President-elect Trump has a lot of work himself to do, and he probably should get off Twitter and start (laughs) finding some people to fill these positions. That said, before the Senate interviews them, the hearing process, the candidates are supposed to go through an ethics check with the Office of Government Ethics in order to deal with any conflicts of interest that they may have. These arise in many different forms, but in particular, they concern the financial holdings of potential nominees because financial holdings can create conflicts. For example, if a nominee owns stock in a company, then that that their agency has the power to help or hurt, depending on that agency's policy, um, then that could affect their money. Uh, for example, if I own stock in ExxonMobil and I am now being appointed to run the Environmental Protection Agency, my appointment may be in direct conflict with my holdings because now I might have the ability to help ExxonMobil via my position and in turn increase the price of the stock that I actually own and increase the money that is in my own pockets. And so that's how those conflicts arise. As I've already mentioned, this was the Republicans' main concern back in 2008 because they felt that Senate Democrats should not hold hearings until Obama's nominees had gone through the entire ethics process. Now, of course, Mitch McConnell's like, eh, ethics, ethics, we don't really care about that. Let's just hold the hearings. Further, by scheduling overlapping hearings, Republicans are actually trying to game the system by making it physically impossible for certain members of Congress to attend their committee's hearings due to this overscheduling. If two hearings are being held at the same time and I am a member of both of those committees, I cannot physically be at both of those hearings. And so now I have to decide whether to go one or the other. Um, many of Trump's nominees have issues that need to be explored in depth before the, summon- the Senate can vote on their nominations. For example, Jeff Sessions has issues with race. He actually was not appointed to become a district judge back in the 80s because he was too racist to hold that position. Rex Tillerson, Tillerson, that is the appointee for Secretary of State, has connections with Russia and with Putin and business interests being that he owns part of ExxonMobil and is the CEO of ExxonMobil and those conflicts of interest may affect his position as Secretary of State. Betty DeVoe who's the person who's picked to head the uh, Department of Education, basically wants to get rid of all public schools, make everything a private school, in a religious school at that matter, (laughs) and voucherize the entire system. This has failed in Michigan where she tried to do it, but she nonetheless thinks it should be the model for the entire country. Tom Price, who's going to run the Health and Human Services Agency, not only wants to gut Obamacare, but also wants to gut Medicare, Medicaid, and other and basically everything and privatize the entire health system. Ben Carson, who's supposed to be running HUD, has absolutely no experience. His only relationship to HUD is that he used to live in federal housing. Putzer, who is going to supposedly be running the Labor Department, actually owned Carl's Jr. and was sued five million times by the Department of Labor (laughs) for wage and hour um, 
problems when he was actually the CEO of Hardee's and Carl's Jr. And Pruitt, who is the head of the or is going to supposedly head up the EPA, has sued the EPA numerous times saying they've overstepped their boundaries when they tried to protect the environment. And he is supposedly the person that is going to be tasked with, in fact, protecting the environment. All of these are some of the issues that have now arose that need to be explored through the confirmation process. In addition to the confirmation process, you have also heard about Votorama that has taken place. What is Votorama? Well, it's exactly what it sounds. It is a marathon of rapid fire boats on a budget resolution and its amendments that stretches on for hours and hours into the night. It makes it difficult for every senator to be there, let alone stay awake for the whole thing. Um, (laughs) There are some pros for each party. For Democrats, it provides an opportunity to draw a distinction between their views on health care and how Republicans are approaching the issue. For Republicans, it is completing an exercise that clears a way for them to go forward with repealing the health care law. Um, what they were voting on was not actually the budget itself. In fact, it was a budget resolution and the amendments to it. Um, the voterama is in terms of all of the amendments that are proposed. This resolution is one of the several steps that Republicans must take to allow them to repeal the health care law without facing a filibuster by the Democrats. By passing this budget resolution, they set in motion that process that will eventually culminate with in theory, legislation that repeals the Affordable Care Act. Um, In addition, special rules apply to budget resolutions, so senators can offer up an unlimited number of amendments, hence the rapid-fire votorama that goes all night. And being especially and generally crafty people that Republicans are, they like to take advantage of the opportunity to propose, I don't know, a million amendments that have absolutely nothing to do with budgets or health care. None of these amendments actually hold the force of law. A budget resolution is a essentially a blueprint for Congress. The measure actually never goes to the president, but the amendments can be used to provide the gist for campaign ads, giving each party the opportunity to force the opposing party members to take votes on politically delicate and divisive topics and a bunch of other things. This entire spectacle is the voterama, and the Senate actually can consider dozens and dozens of amendments in quick succession, and that can extend into the wee hours of the night, as I already pointed out. So that is exactly what happened in Congress this week. Uh, Congress was doing their duty, but they were no, nonetheless making a spectacle out of it. They were creating confusion, um, trying to get everything done in the amount of time. And eventually what happened is they ended up having to walk the whole thing back. Not the Votorama, but at least the nominations. They had to delay many of those nominations uh, pending ethics checks. One of those in particular is Betsy DeVos um, and many others. In addition, Donald Trump really just needs to get his act together. Everybody does, because this is not how it works. This is not how any of this is supposed to work. Wow. (laughs) Thank you so much, Alyssa, for just debriefing us through the debacle known as Congress (laughs) and its state of uh, chaos at this moment. Thank you guys so much for joining us in 2017. This is our first show back. We appreciate everyone that called in, that chimed into our show here and let your voice be heard. Remember, you can listen to us again. If you just subscribe to us on iTunes at Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio, we're also on the web at www.lybbh.com. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, guys. WACR 90.3 FM, New York.